but raise your hand uh, for my military population. If you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into the minute you signed that paper. Oh, none of us. Okay, cool. Just checking. So in seeing that struggle, you know, a little bit of relief and a little bit of joy that comes from the economic impact from working is kind of what really motivates me and watching people kind of find their own, especially on the spouse side of the house, because when you're on active duty, it's it's a struggle, right? But on the spouse side of the house, watching uh my my community, these these women and men and spouses and partners step into their own and go. I got this. It's cool if you need to go chase the stream. I got this. I can still provide. I can still function. I can still. It's just wanting to be, I guess, even shorter, you know, be a part of that self-discovery process. It is my favorite thing ever. And I have seen some recently, some uh, women friends of mine just crush it, just literally just slice and dice uh, life. And it just makes me really happy to watch them like take the bull by the horns and be like, Sit down. Like, <laughs> I think it's just a motivation thing. I just really love it. Welcome to the Inclusive Leaders Podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io. The link to connect with us is in the description. Let's get back to the episode. Lindsay, I know you as a tech founder, military veteran, military spouse, mom, and overall just a boss um, amongst many other things. But um, for those that don't know you yet, could you let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Man, you summarized that so well in like three sentences. So who I am. Um, So I am a native of Kentucky. So I grew up in a really small town and graduated. And all I knew when I left home was that couldn't stay there. I was bigger than the little town and I didn't really have a way to pay for college, but I knew I wanted to travel and see the world outside of my little bitty space. So I joined the military. Uh, It wasn't a hard sell from the recruiter. I joined the army in uh, 2003. And then my first duty station was South Korea. So they took a very um, small town girl and shipped me millions of miles away from family, friends and, and whatever. And that really molded me into getting a snippet of diversity, just like right then and there. Right. So you leave home where everybody looks and sounds mostly the same. There weren't people of color and other backgrounds in my immediate family circle. And my first introduction to other cultures was basic training while my battle buddy, AKA the person you bunk with, uh, she was from uh, New York, like legit New York. And she, um, I think she was Puerto Rican. I still talk to her to this day. So if I misquote, I'm really sorry. I just know she has that background and she would yell at me in Spanish. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> so after that, um, the army taught me technology as a skill and I got to do really cool things. And then I transitioned out. And during my transition, I would hear people struggling to kind of find their own space. And then um, because I worked in tech and I was surrounded by a population of people um, and I was a girl gasped by, I'm a girl in tech. Um, I would hear things like, oh, you don't know how to do that because, or I've been doing this longer than you because, and it was like, I didn't matter. And so I went out and was like, well, I'll show you. 
And I went and I got a master's degree and I got a certain, you know, I got all the certifications so that when I stood in the room and they'd say, well, I have this, well, so do I, well, I have this, well, so do I. So I made it almost dang, dang, dang near impossible to, to argue with me uh, on paper, I guess. And then as I started looking around my community, I realized that other women were struggling to other veterans were struggling to describe, you know, their, their transition. And then on the corporate side, um, I would get asked things in interviews, like, what does your husband do? Or have you ever killed anyone? And it was just like, okay, Houston, we have a problem. So I launched kind of empower employee, which is targeted at, um, helping corporations understand uh, the military community and grow their 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 talent uh, pools in a very diverse way. And the military itself, I mean, previously mentioned, is literally one of the most diverse melting pots because you're getting people from all over the world together with like one mission, one goal, one team mentality, and it's it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, and that sounds like a lot. And um, it seems like you're you're doing so many things and taking so many things in stride. Um, and based on what you mentioned about your background, I just, I just love that. I mean, I, I'm from the South, so I, I totally understand what you're talking about. And, you know, from that, it's like you've taken off like a rocket, which is just amazing. So you've helped more than 150 spouses, uh, military spouses and veterans um, gain access to employment. It sounds like a lot of work, <laughs> um, but how did you de- develop such a love for helping military veterans and spouses? How do I, why do I, I mean, I'll basically help anyone. You can blame my mom for that. Maybe that Southern hospitality upbringing, you know, you just give your neighbor everything and you hope for the same in return. So the passion there is that these families overall and the service members, they grew through so much just to be able to live the day to day. I mean, it's for the, for the spouse, it's almost like single parenting. Sometimes it's the closest thing. Like you have a partner, they just might turn up and pop smoke and disappear. And that, I mean, and I've been around this community for like most of my life, so like 18 years. And with that, I think there's a preconceived misconception that if you're in the military, you're rich. You're rich. You don't need a job. You're single income. You're good. They pay for everything. And, but I got tired of watching these families struggle. You know, you've got the service member out dedicating their time and their efforts. Now, pause. I understand this is a volunteer service and none of us were called, but even more important, we volunteered, we signed up for this, but raise your hand uh, for my military population. If you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into the minute you signed that paper. Oh, none of us. Okay, cool. Just checking. So in seeing that struggle, you know, a little bit of relief and a little bit of joy that comes from the economic impact from working is kind of what really motivates me and watching people kind of find their own, especially on the spouse side of the house, because when you're on active duty, it's it's a struggle, right? But on the spouse side of the house, watching uh my my community, these these women and men and spouses and partners step into their own and go. I got this. It's cool if you need to go chase this dream. I got this. I can still provide. I can still function. I can still, it's just wanting to be, I guess, even shorter, you know, be a part of that self-discovery process. It is my favorite thing ever. And I have seen some recently, some uh, women friends of mine just crush it, just literally just slice and dice uh, life. And it just makes me really happy to watch them like take the bull by the horns and be like, sit down. Like, <laughs> I think it's just a motivation thing. I just really love it. 
I personally get a lot of energy just from talking to you. I'm just like, wow, she's just amazing. Um, but so, you know, how can our listeners, which, you know, many of which are employers, um, how can they build similar programs uh, within their organizations? So many ways. So I think the basic entry-level point before you as an employer go out and dump billions into dollars of talent acquisition, take a look at your talent acquisition orgs, take a look at your hiring managers, take a look at your coworkers. These are the people that you are introducing their family, right? You're not just going to bring some random person. I mean, you might, that's kind of what happens, but when you select a person to bring home to your family, there's some sort of screening process that takes place and they usually have something in common. So really working on the training piece uh, for your organization uh, of that acceptance, of that understanding, build that first, then build up your infrastructure for, okay, we think we understand the military community. The best thing you can do is put a veteran and military spouse in that seat, somebody who is fresh with new ideas, willing to try new things. Um, you can reach out to us and we'll give you those resources, but you know, do that first, then create, you know, your ERGs and your processes and your procedures, and then go fish for that talent, then screen those partnerships because it's, it's reverse right now. We're seeing companies that I've worked for that I love. I love them all. I just don't work there anymore. Um, go out and like recruit from the community. And then I'm hearing from that community. Oh my God, I or gosh, I got hired at such and such company, I have arrived, I made it. And then I'll call them 30 days later and be like, hey, how is it going? And they'll be like, I got terminated or I quit. Terminated wow. or quit. And so y'all as organizations, companies have dumped billions of dollars in that process because it's not cheap to hire somebody, but they weren't ready to take in the infrastructure. So just build those programs first. Um, the Society of Human Resource Professionals has a free uh, training program called Veterans at Work. We have a training program that's worth three PDCs that your company can own and develop. We are your partner for that. Um, trying to think who else. Hire Our Heroes has a great corporate partnership. Hire Heroes, Shift.org, DOD Skillbridge. I can do this all day. It is unlimited. You just need to find that right person to go out and partner with you to like get it done. And I'm really excited because I just got something new to partner with yesterday. Fingers crossed. I'm really excited for them. So just find that right person to take take the lead on that and make sure it's somebody who's familiar with the community um, and everyone that is willing to learn. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people listening are like, she's the right person. <laughs> um, I mean, know. it can be, but there may be somebody better than me. I have a whole slew of people that I would tell you that are way cooler than me that would be just as effective, if not more. So it, somebody taught me, well, kind of, but also like, it's just a, it's a whole learning thing. Absolutely. And you know, this, this is a statistic that you dropped on me a few days ago, but the unemployment for military spouses is 24%. Um, why do you think that is? And what should our employers do to just gain more access to that amazing uh, pool of talent? So it goes back to, so why do I think that is all the reasons that I'm going to give you <laughs> a couple? Uh, it's the constant operations of living in this. It is a lifestyle. So if prior to COVID, um, it was very rare that you heard about remote work. The expectation was that you would work in your office 24-7, right? Um, but if you're a single parent and you, um, or even if you're not, but for the sake of the military, if you're a spouse and your husband calls you or wife or significant other in the middle of the night and says, hey, I know you're supposed to work tomorrow, 
but I got called in and I got to go to the field. You didn't have childcare lined up because it wasn't part of your plan. The cost of childcare on the military installation is astronomical, similar to what you see in the civilian population. There are no spots available. So then when you do, you got to call your boss and say, hey, really sorry, can't come in today. And remote work wasn't an option. So after a couple of times of that, you get feedback of, oh, the spouse is not reliable. Well, that's not the case. It's not at all. It's just that life happened at 9.59 and 59 seconds, and I had to make the call. The government and the military career of that service member will always come first. And that spouse um, may not always have the support, the emotional support of the command teams of a community. We live a very nomadic kind of go with the flow program. Now, um, post-COVID, I think it's personally, I think it's a little bit better, but the other population of spouse that's struggling uh, lives overseas. Gasp, did you know I live in Hawaii? We covered this. Did you know that Hawaii is part of the contiguous United States? We're a state, but employers treat me like I live in like Australia, which we'll touch on in a second, because there's a six hour time difference. They don't find a value in well, it's 5 a.m. for me. It's you know 11 a.m., 4 p.m., whatever those time zones are. We don't want to work with people that are outside of our time zones, which makes zero sense because you're missing out on continued operations. Um, and employers aren't looking at the status of armed forces agreement, which there's a whole playbook on. And then it's also known as SOFA. We love our acronyms. So SOFA, not the one you sit on, but the one that dictates law for countries like South Korea. South Korea is usually, I think they're like 12 hours ahead which means you have work done in the future, which is nice. <laughs> but right. spouses there can work remotely for 40 hours from home. So it has a lot to do with everything, you know? And then there's like, lastly, the the standard, I hate to use stereotype, but the common uh, thing is like, I, I met my high school sweetheart. I married my high school sweetheart. They, you know, did their career. We moved 18 million times. I never got to go back to high school or college or see those uh, certifications. Or how about the reverse where I was a lawyer and we moved from state to state and I have to get recertified for that bar in every single state. There's no continuity there. So there's just off the top of my head, like, I know that was a lot of information, but those are just quick, like, and that doesn't even get into like the social aspect of what is happening. So what can employers do? So employers can really take that time to educate, get with your legal teams, work and figure out your interstate kind of agreements, familiarize yourself with the military spouse um, employment acts that are out there surrounding taxes, tax law, SCRA, and the new and up and coming it's in the, I believe it's in the Senate for like the hundredth time and it needs your vote, a work opportunity tax credit for spouses, which adds that same protection. So it all starts with that education and modifying, um, modifying your procedures in your company to make this a welcoming place for this demographic. That's great. And that's, that is a lot of information. One of the things that you shared, though, that really piqued my interest was, which I never thought about, was continued operations for people that are in different time zones. That is a great idea. I mean, like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it just makes sense, especially if you're like a tech company, rather than I'm not against outsourcing. I know from a business perspective, it is extremely right. um, beneficial. But hear me out on this. So dream with me for a minute, corporate America. If you were to look at global IT operations and you hired chat-based support out of South Korea, um, completely English speaking, you know, normal humans, like 
not that there's an issue with not, but just, you know, your baseline military spouse with, and some of them are bilingual, duolingo, trilingual. Some of them speak German, Spanish. I mean, we're from all over the world. It is literally the diversest situation. Um, or a transitioning service member to do that tech support for you, the government's going to issue a credit of up to $9,600 per person. So if you hire 100 people and you get that full credit, what is that, almost a million dollars in PNL? How does that not make sense? Right. Uh, and you're getting that 24-hour support with a community that is a volunteer service that have hearts of volunteers and are all about supporting each other. It legitimately is like the biggest no brainer in my life. The downfall for me is I at one point had an EA in Japan and I would go to sleep and she would do all the work and it was a little backwards. Korea would have been ideal for me because she would have been <laughs> ahead. <laughs> um, but she's now moved back to the States and moved on. But yeah, I mean, just 24 seven operations. People don't think about that. Right. And you know, you have so many things going on and you're such a resourceful master of execution. Um, what are, some of the activities um, or thought processes we can basically possess uh, to get to a place where we're just able to execute at a high level, similar to where you are. I think everyone can be where I am. I don't consider myself special. Uh, time management is everything. And I'm actually really bad at time management sometimes. Gasp. Um, it's goal setting, it's accountability, and it's time management. So like if I know um, on Fridays, I usually get up every morning and I'll look at my calendar for the day and then I look at the next day. And then I like, I always plug in like personal stuff into my work calendar and I block specific work blocks. So I know that Monday, every single Monday is sales calls. Tuesday is X. Wednesday, I call it work at Wednesday. That's all my admin stuff that I have to get done. Thursday is meeting with all my mentors, my board members, whatever. And Friday is like, please, gosh, please let everything be done. So I don't have to work today. My goal is to only work four days a week while still trying to uh, wife, mom, kid drive, feed the kids. I mean, it's all a lot of planning and it's exhausting to be this prepared at all times, but it is super beneficial. My friends get annoyed with me because they'll be like, hey girl, do you want to come have lunch? And I'll look at my calendar and be like, I would love to go have lunch with you, but I can't because I have A, B, and C. I have 15 minutes between here and here. Do you want to come here and have coffee with me? Would you like to virtually meet? I cannot see you in person. Um, and they'll be like, when can I see you again? And I'll be like, I will be back on island uh, well, I'm leaving next week, actually. So I just told somebody I will be back on Island like November 19th at 5.59. Please block a lunch with me on Wednesday. And I know that that's not cool when you're in your thirties and your friends are like, what? But like it keeps like the expectation constantly coming. It gives me the bandwidth to do the things that I want to do. And then kind of on a family note, my kids already know what's up. Uh, they're teenagers. They will not come and ask me, Hey mom, can I go to the store? to buy this for a school project. Absolutely not. You got that paperwork two weeks ago. You needed to tell me two weeks ago and you better pray that Amazon Prime delivers in 24 hours to this island or you are up a creek with no paddle. Hey mom, I forgot my lunch. Absolutely not. You will eat school lunch. Hey mom, I need, and what I'm, I'm not, not a, a loving parent. I have amazing children. I love them. But if I stop what I'm doing every single time and cater to that, they will never learn to be independent. And the expectation is set that someone will always bail them out. And that sounds really harsh, but I mean, I have teenagers. Now. They're not, they're not three. If they were three and they forgot their like juice box, I'm going to drop everything and haul butt to deliver juice to the world. But at 12, 13 and 15, like they know, and my husband knows too. And he's 
pretty good about not at like the man is the field grade officer, which is not relevant, but we'll forget his hat and expect me, this is a common joke, to drive 40 minutes across the island. I'll be like, no, you need to spend the $30 and go buy yourself a new one. I'm not coming down there. So just time management and goal setting. Um, for me, I look at what are my goals? Do I want to work out this week? No, I don't. So I usually don't. <laughs> you know, do I is my goal to go be social this week? Do I want to go sell, you know, products? Do I want a million dollars this week? Like, what do I want for the next six months of my life? And we plan family trips and everything else around it. So it sounds psychotic when you say it out loud, but it gives you that bandwidth, like to know what's coming. Wow. So Lindsay, if there was one action, uh, as we wrap up, if there was one action that you would urge our DEI listeners that are listening to take after listening to this, um, what would that be? I mean, I feel like the DEI space is a hot buzzword, right? Like everybody's doing DEI, uh, hence why we're on this call. So I think <laughs> there's a uh, there's a perception there that everybody's already kind of, you know, I'm going to use the term woke, but jokingly, um, everybody's just kind of alert, right? But really look at your veteran and military spouse population internal to your company. Go ask about the retention rate. Go ask about your training programs. Do they exist? If they do, awesome. What does that look like for your company? What are your goals? What are the benefits? What are the trends? Is your military spouse population staying six months and popping off? Are they getting promoted? Is it the same numbers across the board for your other populations that are also, you know, diverse? If it's not, what are you doing to improve? You know, the whole point of DEI, my opinion, is to be inclusive, to have a welcoming culture, to consider the sometimes unfair biases and real life biases, you know, that exist and, and tackle them in a way that is manageable. And I think not to go too far, like look at everything, but you know, mm -hmm. DNI reminds me kind of cybersecurity, right? So you do one move and then there's a counter move and then there's another move and there's like no wins ever. Celebrating those small wins and thinking outside the box, especially as it pertains to something that I said to you, you know, overseas operations and 24 seven, um, culture, but go to vet indexes, go to these conferences, find the resources that are out there. Somebody's just waiting in this community to have you ask them any question about the community. They we want to teach you and train. So just continue to do what you're willing to do. Ask the questions, learn and, and continue to grow and be aware. Fantastic. Well, Lindsay, I don't think we could have ended this better than that. Um, I just really appreciate you for spending time with us, uh, especially since you're in Hawaii, 5 a.m. right now. <laughs> um, just really thank you for um, just sharing all the gems that you had. And this was amazing, an amazing conversation. We might need a, a part two at some point, but... Um, I'm down. We should do it. Um, I have, um, I would invite everybody to ASA's um, a conference that's live online. I'll get you the information. It's in eight days and it's a whole panel. One veteran, one military spouse, one veteran and military spouse, that would be me, and other people talking about kind of best practices, training programs and all of that. So it's not just me talking, but um, yeah, there could be a part two. We can dig into whatever you want. There's just so much to cover in this arena that, and I would really like to get into some of the harder topics too. I mean, like I think we're all trying to be so careful not to hurt everybody's feelings rather than right. just having a raw conversation of like, hey, 
this isn't malintent. This is uneducation or a lack of knowledge. And I was really uneducated when I started out, you know, 18 being in an all Caucasian community, I didn't even see, like I said, till, I mean, till another person of color or another language or anything until I got to South Korea. And had I not left home, it probably would have been like that for a really long time. And I just think people think that, oh, well, this happened and you didn't know. No, I, I really didn't know that that was a thing. I'm not, I don't classify myself as like, any type of negative connotation. I just didn't know. So we can talk about that later, but I've had some really hard conversations with like my husband and like um, my friends um, and just have to realize that sometimes maybe you are a little more biased than what you knew kind of thing. Like, see, those are some really, but they're hard conversations to have recorded because people are like, she said that. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't know. It's like my bad. <laughs> my bad. Like I'll come to you. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it that way. I just didn't word it correctly. Right. Which is what makes those conversations so uncomfortable. But yeah, I'm totally down. And thank Love you that. for letting me talk to you about this. It's amazing. Uh, and thank you. If uh, the listeners were trying to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Um, LinkedIn empower empower submit a contact form we are live every thursday with different employers that want to hire from the military community we feature them you can drop on there um send a pigeon come fly to hawaii and stand here i like that option the most come to hawaii um but we have a whole team so if i'm not around like one of our other team members who we should really talk about someday uh, are here and if you think that i'm amazing like our fractional COO puts me to shame and makes me look like a child. Like she, I get uncomfortable. Like, I don't like going places with her because I already know that like, what's like she's the time management look. Her first company, let me just put it in perspective. Her first company in the first year was a million dollar company as a military spouse. Mm. There's another organization that's out there called Instant Teams. They tackle military spouse unemployment through remote work. They were the first to ever do it. Just closed a 2.3 Series A round, all women-led, all military spouse and veteran-led, like just an insane amount of people that are able to do this. But from the corporate side of the house, they will say they shouldn't be able to do that. And I, what I think is so funny and the reason it was relevant is um, I called a local development center here for me in Hawaii and I asked them a couple questions and she said, oh, there was a girl who was trying to do something similar and I ignored her and I, and I said, what was her name? And she gave me her name and I said, oh, I said, do you know that company just closed a $2.3 million round and only been in business for less than like 10 years? And she said, I know I should never have discounted her. I promise not to discount you if you want to work here. To be continued. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.